This is the Negotiate X Podcast, show number 29, part A. One person said, I want to prevent civil war in our country. I'm worried that we're on that path. And, and that really speaks to the, the concern, the recognition of the challenges that we face in our country, not just political polarization, left, right, blue, red, Republican, Democrat, but also the declining trust of institutions, uh, the widespread misinformation, the, the divisive rhetoric, the, the lack of trust of our neighbors, the uh, mass shootings, the, the hate crimes, those are all manifestations of uh, organized violence or risks of violence that we face as a country. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Welcome to the NegotiateX podcast. I am your co-host and co-founder, Nolan Martin. With me today is Aram. But Aram, we aren't alone today. We're super excited to finally bring on another guest to the podcast. So I'm sure everyone's kind of uh, tired of just listening to you and I talk back and forth. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited for today's discussion. Yeah, I am too. And uh, it is my pleasure to welcome uh, a good friend and colleague, uh, and someone I've gotten to do quite a bit of training with over the years, um, Joe Budman. So welcome, Joe. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. Joe is the uh, founder and executive director of uh, Urban Rural Action. He is uh, I just have a wealth of background experience in both profit and nonprofit work, working with a lot of different organizations in uh, influence and negotiation uh, over the years. And uh, Joe, we're excited to have you and kind of hear a little bit more about both your story and the work you're doing through UR Action. Thanks. When I heard from Nolan that this was show 29, I was wondering what you were doing the previous 28 episodes, but better late than never. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are excited to have you, Joe. And uh, first, kind of to kick things off, let's just talk about how you got into the field of negotiation. Sure. When I graduated from college back in 2003, ancient history, I participated in a symposium in The Hague on international negotiation and conflict resolution. So it was a four-week symposium, and we learned about uh, the genocide in Rwanda. We learned about various other international conflicts and efforts to resolve them, and that had a really profound impact on me. And I returned to the States and then worked for that organization for some time. The next sort of milestone for me in this journey was going to graduate school, focusing on conflict resolution at the School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins, and taking a course on dispute settlement methods. And in that course, we read two books that really impacted me. One was Difficult Conversations, co-authored by Bruce Patton, who Aram and I have come to know quite well over, over many years. And the second book, which was my favorite of all the books I've read in this field, was called Beyond Machiavelli, which was a book written by Roger Fisher and... The main ideas of the book, is, as I recall them, 
were the importance of putting yourself in the shoes of someone you're trying to influence and trying to understand the choice that they are being asked to make. And this book did a, an incredible job of applying that simple but not simplistic idea to conflicts like the Iranian hostage crisis and, and the first Gulf War. And it's just a, a very interesting book. And um, after I finished my graduate school program, I found uh, work at Vantage Partners, which is how Aram and I first met. And as Aram said, this is for-profit consulting work, but it's really about helping companies negotiate more effectively with suppliers, with customers, with key alliance partners. But I was restless to do more international negotiation, conflict resolution work. And so I was able to finagle a secondment to Mercy Corps um, in 2011 and spent three months in Kenya working on uh, post-election violence or, or post-election conflict resolution work um, and three months in Guatemala working on land dispute resolution. So maybe I'll pause there, but that was how I, I kind of first got into the, the broad field. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, uh, Joe. It's just, just a, a great path. So you mentioned you mentioned two books. What concepts in mean, getting in the other party's shoes? And I love that in terms of a simple but not simplistic sort of framework. Are there other other th- key points there in your journey that you found kind of stick with you, particularly in the work you're doing now? But anything else that's kind of led into your growth and development of your mindset? I think the biggest insight that sticks with me and that is really important in the work that I'm doing today is intellectual humility. And I'm not sure if that idea was explicitly talked about in in those two books, but I think it is a part of all of the ideas. And, And just before coming on, coming into this conversation, we talked about mindset action results. And so this is a mindset piece. You know, Bruce would always talk about this. He would stand up on a chair in the workshop room and he would talk about the possibility, the 1% possibility that if we can just maintain a a 1% chance that we might be wrong or might be missing something. And for me, and if we think about the the exercises and and the workshops that we run, the F exercise, which is for those listening who who might not be familiar with this this is an exercise where people are asked to read some text on a screen and they're asked to count the number of times they see the letter f as in frank but before they do that i ask them to um, raise their hand and not to put it down until they're a hundred percent sure that they've counted the correct number of f's and what we see invariably is that the vast majority of people undercount F's because they're they're reading and and they're 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 reading the text as opposed to um, counting the number of times they see the letter F and so they might li- miss the F and of they might miss um, an F when they're two together in an italicized word and to me it just is a great illustration of how we are overconfident that we see everything there is to see and when I think about the conversations that we're facilitating now over climate, over uh, economic hardship, over democracy, over political violence. Um, If we are able to bring some humility into those conversations, if we're able to bring some curiosity because we recognize that we might not know everything there is to know, then we're more likely to take the actions that are really effective, asking good questions, 
um, trying to listen and check our understanding of views that we might disagree with. But we're not going to do those things effectively if we assume that we have the answer and whoever has a different answer is just wrong and they would be you know, better off just agreeing with our point of view. Yeah, it's so it's so difficult, right, to really take a posture of curiosity. I, I, I think that's a challenge for for all of us. You, you started to kind of allude to some of the things that you are discussing through UR Action. So can you tell us a little bit about Urban Rural Action, what it is, why you started it? Sure, I'll start with what it is, and then I'll go to why I started it. So Urban Rural Action is a national nonprofit. And our vision is a more peaceful, just, and democratic United States. And our mission is to bring Americans together across geographic, political, racial, and generational divides to build relationships, strengthen collaboration skills, explore different perspectives on issues, and work together to address challenges that impact all communities. Those challenges can be economic challenges, environmental challenges, political challenges, social challenges. We believe that. If you can build relationships across divides, you can work together more effectively. We also believe that if you can work together to address challenges, you can build relationships and trust across divides. We see those two things as, as mutually reinforcing. In terms of why I started it, there are a few things that I, I think back to. One is that in my work at Mercy Corps, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when I was in Guatemala, um, there was a program to help resolve land disputes. Um, land disputes in Guatemala are quite common because the owners of land, the, the property rights, the titles to those land, it's just not always clear. There aren't good records. There are uh, competing historical records. There are also disputes between large landowners and, and the people living on those land, uh, living on those pieces of land. And I had a really interesting experience where we we went and met with a, a family um, or a community that had participated in a mediation process. And the dispute had been, um, one dispute had been re resolved with a, a neighboring community, but now they were in a dispute with a, with a different neighbor over a different piece of the land border. And the sort of, you know, question that came to my mind was, well, why, you know, what are you going to do about it? Are, are you going to talk to this other party and try to resolve it? And, and the answer was, no, we're, we're waiting for, you know, an engineer to come and, and do the GPS measurements and figure out exactly where the border ought to be. And what, what struck me was that this, this program focused on resolving land disputes did not include an element of building skill, building the skill to resolve disputes on your own, building the skill to talk about, well, why are, do we want the land? Do we plan to use it to grow cardamom or grow coffee or grow corn? Or do we plan to use it to build a soccer field or a church or a hospital? Um, how can we engage in conversation with this other party as opposed to waiting indefinitely for some third party to show up and hopefully save the day? And that always struck me as a major shortcoming. And so when I thought about work we might do um, with parties in disputes or with people um, in a context of conflict, I always felt like equipping people with some skills they can use on their own is, is really important. The, and maybe just a second thing I'll share, Aaron Nolan, because I think that was a, a bit kind of narrow, but bigger picture, 
the work that I have done over the years for Mercy Corps, which is an international NGO, non-governmental organization that merged with the conflict management group back in 2004, has been to prevent organized violence in East Africa, West Africa, Southeast Asia, Central America, the types of places, Aram, where I, I know you've served in your career. And what struck me over the past several years is that the conflict dynamics that exist in those countries exist in the United States as well. And what I mean by conflict dynamics is political polarization, uh, divisive rhetoric from elected officials, widening economic inequality, misinformation and disinformation, loneliness and isolation, easy access to firearms, right? All of these dynamics that can contribute to violent conflict exist in the United States. And so I was motivated to apply some of the approaches that I've seen work overseas bringing people together across divides to carry out projects together, bring people together to engage in constructive dialogue, apply those in the United States to see if we can overcome some of the challenges that we face and advance a more peaceful society. Yeah, I, I was going to follow up and you really hit it, which was, you know, I think that many people would say, well, we don't, we don't have those issues, right? Do you find in the work as you start to engage with groups just even just a recognition of what you what you just discussed all these sort of dynamics occurring just that being even a, a good first step an effective first step is oh wow we really we really are very polarized we are, we're incredibly tribal i think an increasing percentage of the american public recognizes the dangers that we're talking about I think if they didn't prior to January 6th, 2021, they did that day and afterwards. We are, and I, I know this is like a call to action for the end of our conversation, but it's, but it's relevant. We're, we are this week facilitating conversations on political violence. And we're gonna be talking about causes and effects of political violence and then possible solutions. And when people register for these events on the 5th and the 6th, uh, tomorrow and Thursday, we ask people why you're interested in participating because we want to make sure that people are bringing uh, a spirit of trying to contribute to, to better outcomes in our society to the conversations. And one person said, I want to prevent civil war in our country. I'm worried that we're on that path. And, and that really speaks to the, the concern, the recognition of the challenges that we face in our country, not just political polarization, left, right, blue, red, Republican, Democrat, but also the declining trust of institutions, uh, the widespread misinformation, the, the divisive rhetoric, the, the lack of trust of our neighbors, the uh, mass shootings, the, the hate crimes. Those are all manifestations of uh, organized violence or risks of violence that we face as a country. So how do you do it? How, and you, you talked about this nationwide program that UR Action is, and you also work very kind of closely at the, the local state level. Could tell us a little bit about the programs you run. You talked about two programs coming up this week, but how do you, how do you get people from these diverse perspectives and backgrounds uh, to rooms or virtual rooms to talk? Yeah, so we, we run different types of programs, as you're suggesting, Aram. And I'll talk first about what I see as like our flagship program. And that model is a, a statewide program 
I'll describe one, which is Uniting for Action on the Maryland Economy. And it's a program over nine months where people come together in person and on Zoom and communicate on Slack. And they come together repeatedly. They're, they're a cohort of 25 people across the state. White people, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanic, older folks, younger folks, middle-aged folks, uh, people who live in big cities like Baltimore, people who live in more sparsely populated counties like Allegheny and Washington, people who are conservative, people who are liberal, moderate, and, and so on. And what do we do when we come together? Well, essentially four things. Uh, one thing we do is we try to facilitate constructive dialogue to explore different perspectives and to build skill in the process. And so we introduce a framework called the ABCs for constructive dialogue, where the A stands for ask questions to better understand their perspective. B is break down our view so they can understand our reasoning. And C is check our understanding of their point of view. And we do these exercises in small groups so that people can practice particularly those skills of A and C to better understand someone else's perspective on economic related issues. Second thing we do is we try to build relationships through fun activities like truffle tasting, uh, which, is, which is one of my favorites, sometimes blindfolded, uh, sometimes not. Harder to do during times of COVID, but we try to do it outside when possible. Um, we did resume indoor activity in September uh, in, in Hagerstown, Maryland, and then in October in Baltimore and Corvallis um, in, in November. Um, but we, we believe that having fun together is a way to build relationships. And if we can have fun together um, with people who are different from us, we can connect with them and it, it supports more constructive dialogue uh, if we are able to connect with someone as a fellow human and a fellow American. The third thing we do in our meetings is we analyze complex problems. And we do this in subgroups. So we I described a, maybe a 25-person cohort across the state. We break that down into teams of, say, five people or so. And there might be a team of five working on mental health in the workplace. There might be another team of five working on immigrant entrepreneurship. There might be another team of five working on homeless workforce development. And we introduce a framework called the problem tree analysis. And it's a three-step process to help people analyze complex societal issues. Step one, define the problem. Step two, map out the effects of that problem across economic, social, political, and environmental systems. Step three, map out the causes of that problem across social, economic, environmental, and political systems. And we find that this is a collaborative approach where people expand their understanding of these complex issues and the interconnections among different causes and effects. And the fourth and final thing we do during our program is we provide a process for people to design an intervention. So they use that analysis to say, okay, this is a cause of lack of immigrant entrepreneurial opportunities that we think we can do something about, or this is a cause of ineffective homeless workforce development that we think we can tackle with a local organization that we are paired up with. And so we introduce the idea of a theory of change 
We help the team develop a work plan and we help them come up with measures of success. And then they go on and implement that project with a community organization that they are paired up with. Joe, you've done this a number of times. Where do, where do you see most audiences struggling the most with regards to those four steps? Is, is it with the problem tree analysis or is it in another aspect of that where, where they, they struggle to kind of work through the problem just maybe because of their mindset or how they tend to show up? Is, is there Maybe there's not a place that they, they struggle more than others. Maybe it's at the beginning. I don't know. You know, the chocolate truffle tasting in Corvallis, Oregon was quite hard. I, I was sure because there were some extras and I wasn't going to let them go to waste. I was tasting mint chocolate and it was like peanut butter or something. So I was just completely off. Um, but again, that's about being overconfident in one of the challenges. No, in all there you, go. Um, you know, I think that there are different challenges and different steps of the process. As you know, Aram, from some of the work we've done in in workshops, you know, whether it's in Afghanistan in your case or whether it's in the corporate context in, in both of our cases, it's easy for people to break down their view, right? That this is the B in our ABC yeah. is to break down your view and share why you think the criminal justice system is unjust or why you think. Uh, small businesses should be supported more to recover from the pandemic. It's much harder to withhold your perspective and really embrace curiosity to listen to perspectives that you might disagree with. Ask those open-ended questions, check your understanding, particularly that skill of C, um, because people often resort to, oh yeah, I, I know what you're saying, or I, I hear you, as opposed to, so it sounds like, Aram, what you're saying is that you think um, political violence is caused by a range of factors, including uh, the toxic environment on social media and uh, the rhetoric from our elected officials. Is that right? Am I, am I getting uh, your point of view? And, and so people struggle there. I, I think that people also, and, and it, it does depend on the audience. We work with college students. We work with uh, people from different communities. I think on the problem tree analysis, Sometimes working out what is a cause and what is an effect is really hard. So, for example, just to pull something out of thin air, you know, does the the lack of skill that we often bring to difficult conversations feed into the toxic environment on social media or does the toxic environment on social media contribute to our lack of skill in engaging with different perspectives. That's just an example. And, you know, the, the purpose isn't to complete some master analysis where every cause and effect is perfectly depicted. But I do think the practice of thinking expansively about really complex challenges as opposed to resorting to, oh, that complex problem has one simple cause and therefore one simple solution. <laughs> um, I think that's an important takeaway. And the last thing I'll say is that it's really hard to design interventions and it's hard to agree. Like you're working with these people from different backgrounds, different identity groups, different perspectives, and you're trying to agree on a set of actions to take. That's hard. Um, it's just working collaboratively uh, with people you're building relationships with is, is, is a challenge. And now more than ever, when we're overwhelmed with family responsibilities and community responsibilities and work responsibilities, it's hard to sustain 
engagement over the course of a program and implement fully what you say you're going to do. You also asked Aram about how do we get people from different backgrounds to participate? Yeah. So I, I'd love to just answer that. Please do. You know, the, the challenge with the type of work that we're describing is that it tends to attract, it tends to attract a, a subset of the general population. And if I were to describe that, I would say um, it tends to attract people with more disposable time, um, tends to attract people who have higher levels of formal education. It tends to attract uh, people who are a little bit older in age. It tends to attract people who lean left politically. And so if you're going to bring together a, a cohort that reflects the rich diversity of our country, geographically, racially, politically, ideologically, then I think you need to be really intentional about how you recruit. And so we, we try to do that through different types of groups, whether that's a chamber of commerce in a sparsely populated county, whether that is a group like Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security, um, whether that is through young people who are part of our organization who can connect with people their age. Uh, so we're, we're thoughtful about who the messengers are about our programs. And then the other piece is we have an application process. And when people apply, we ask them to apply with someone who is different from them in a meaningful way, keeping in mind that we're trying to recruit a cohort that is diverse generationally, politically, geographically, and, and racially. And, and that does help um, because we can then sift through a collection of applications and invite people who contribute to diversity along the lines that we're trying to achieve with our programs. Yeah, that would be a tough, tough challenge for many, um, potentially, I think, to define, to find somebody to co-apply with who has a very different worldview than, than the one we share because we tend to we tend to isolate. Hey guys, it's Nolan. We go ahead and jump in right here. We're going to continue this discussion with Joe in next week's episode. That's going to be NX episode 29, part B. So be sure to tune in next week. Until then, we'll see you in that next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.